Well, Jesus has risen from the dead. Amazing, awesome, hard to fathom, difficult to comprehend, and maybe for some of us today, even hard to believe. Often on Easter, we spend a lot of time addressing the factual nature or the proof of the resurrection. And just a quick reminder, the truthfulness or falseness of something has nothing to do with whether I believe it or not. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. So the real question is not what you believe about that, but did he or didn't he rise from the dead? True or false? And those of you who've been around Rock Hill for a while, um, you have heard me use this analogy before, but if you're visiting, you're going to get to hear this one today, is no matter how much I try to believe that the Minnesota Vikings won four Super Bowls, that doesn't make it true, right? Minnesota Vikings lost four Super Bowls. My belief won't change that. It is either true or it is not true. So the question about whether Jesus really did rise from the dead is either true or it's not true. And it's true for all people at all places at all times, or it's false for all people at all places at all times. And today we're just going to declare that it is true. And then you can wrestle with that. But the declaration is that it is true. And John, the eyewitness, wrote these events and noted what had happened. He's an eyewitness to all of these events. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and the Apostle John witnessed all of that. And so then he wrote as an eyewitness. And this is what he says just before John 21, the passage we're going to look at today. He's going to tell us exactly why he wrote this whole book. The whole book of John, he tells us why he wrote it in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. And this is what he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the things that are in the first 20 chapters of John, these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. He explicitly tells us why he's written. Makes no bones about it. Here is why. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to do anything other than to tell you these three things. That Jesus is the Christ, he's the Son of God, and that by believing in him you might have life in his name. That's it. That's the point of the whole thing. That's why he wrote but now we get to this interesting passage, John chapter 21. This isn't where we normally go on an Easter Sunday, but this year we decided to take a look at this passage, what happens after all of this. So remember, I'm declaring that the resurrection happened, Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and now we get to John chapter 21. And I think it's a really beautiful passage, and, and I hope that you'll see it today as well, and that it'll be of encouragement to you and that as you see how Jesus responds to his disciples, it might make you smile, might make you feel comfortable, might make you go, wow, this is Jesus. This is what he's like. So here's John chapter 1. What happens after Jesus has risen from the dead? And today what I want you to do is I want you to, this is a narrative, it's a story, and I want you to put yourself in the story. I think that helps us sometimes. And I want you to see all this through the eyes of the apostle Peter. Okay, so this story, there's going to be many characters in it, several of the disciples, but I want you to see it through the eyes of Peter. This is what's happened to Peter. In the past few days, Peter has declared that he was willing to die with Jesus. This is just a few days before this chapter. He said to Jesus, I'm willing to go to the death with you. And when Jesus is arrested, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of a man who was there to help arrest him. So he's willing to take out the sword and fight. And Jesus heals the man, and he tells Peter to put his sword away. 
And during the process, Jesus is arrested, and Jesus is put on trial, and Jesus is beaten and humiliated, and all the things that we talk about on Good Friday has happened to Jesus. And during that time, Peter is sitting there watching it all happen. And three times, people in the crowd came up to him and said, surely you're one of his followers. We're sure you're one of his guys. Three times. Three times Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. Back up for a second. Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, I'm going to go to the death with you. When Jesus is getting arrested, he pulls out a sword and is really willing to fight. But now when all this turmoil, and, and again, we don't have time to unpack all of what happened on Good Friday, but all the turmoil of Jesus being arrested and being beaten and all the things that are happening, Peter is watching it and somebody comes up and says, hey, we think you're one of his disciples. And Peter says no, and in fact, at the last time, he calls down curses on the, man, on the person and says, I don't know him. And he, he says it with cursing. And he denies that he even knows Jesus. And once he's realized what he's done, he runs from the scene in deep sorrow and deep agony when he realizes that he has denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus dies on a cross, a horrible, tragic death, the way he dies, painful. No one should die like that, nonetheless the Son of God. But then he rises from the dead, and he's appeared to the disciples twice already. This is what Peter's week has been like. I mean, just think of that. Put yourself in his shoes. He has seen all of that. And, and, and Jesus has come to the disciples twice, so he knows for sure that he's risen from the dead. And he saw him at the tomb. And, and all of this, and can you imagine a human being, what must be going on in his head and his emotions and all that he's experienced. And all of that leads us to chapter 21. So put yourself again, Peter's shoes, all this going on, chapter 21. Now we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. So he shows himself, this is the third time, by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said, put yourself in his shoes, after all this, I don't know what to do. I'm going fishing. He says, I'm going fishing. That was his profession. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish was so great. After all the trauma, after all the confusion, after all that he's gone through, the turmoil he's still feeling because of his denial of Jesus, all the sorrow and then the joy of seeing Jesus being raised from the dead and the celebration, after all of that, Peter's trying to process it all and he finds himself in familiar territory. He finds himself fishing, a place that he knew well, a place that he could go and try to figure out what he was supposed to do with all of what he had just experienced. And remember, at this point, Peter is still feeling this, this distance because he and Jesus have not had this conversation that we're going to see in John 21. And the guilt and the shame and the betrayal that he feels inside, and he's going fishing. I love that. He's out there on the lake with the guys. And then Jesus, standing on the shore, calls out to them, 
They don't know that it's him yet. After they get all those fish, verse 7 says, the disciple with whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now John never refers to himself in the entire book of John. He always refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He doesn't use his name. So we know this is John, and John's like, it's, that's the Lord standing there. And he realizes it, and he acknowledges that he's the Lord. That's one of the other great things. He just, it's the Lord. He declares who he is, and he recognizes who he is. And then it tells us that Simon Peter heard, heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer, outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Um, Peter, you've got to love Peter. If you know the Bible a little bit, you know that Peter's this guy that is impulsive and just reacts. He's just reactive. John and Peter have traveled a lot of roads together. They've been together for three years and have seen a lot of things, but they appear to be so different in their personalities, don't they? John is kind of this more gentle spirit, and John tends to be more thoughtful and careful about what he does. Peter just says it how he thinks it, does it how he thinks it. You know, Peter's one of those guys that you might sometimes say, Peter, filter, man, put on a little filter here. And I love this because John might be more cautious and he's thinking these things through, but Peter's just jumping into the water. I love this picture too because John says he threw himself into the water. And if you think about it, it's not, I mean, this is not like a big swan dive off the edge of the boat, all right? It's like he's just like flopping over the edge of the boat like a fish flopping out of a boat and just falls in the water. I don't know if it's okay to have a Forrest Gump picture on an Easter Sunday, but I couldn't help but see the picture of Forrest Gump when he sees uh, Lieutenant Dan, I think it is, and he's on the big ship and he's waving at him and he just walks right off the edge, <laughs> you know, just oblivious to that there's an edge of the boat there and he falls into the water and swims over to see him. This is Peter, just flopping over the side of the boat because he's so excited to go see Jesus. Not processing, just going. John says he threw himself in there. You know, this is just a little side note, you guys, but John and Peter are very different, yet they worked together for years to accomplish God's purposes. I think that's important for us to remember as a church, that sometimes if you're the hard charging, I'm not thinking, I'm just going. Some of us who are more like the laid back, I'm more like the John type, we're going to be going like, man, chill out, slow down. And you might be going, come on, get going. Why are you waiting? Jump in the water. Jesus is right there. I'm going, I'm rowing the boat. I'm getting there, you know. Um, and when we are like that sometimes in the church. I just wanted to remind us that God has made us the way he's made us. And we have different ways that we see things. And John is sitting there rowing the boat back with the rest of the disciples. Jesus, Peter is swimming as fast as he can. And so sometimes we run into that. And sometimes we get frustrated with one another because of the different ways that God has designed us. But I smile when I see this, because I see Peter impulsive. He wants to get to the Lord as soon as he can. I see John going, well, somebody's got to get the boat in. <laughs> and he and the disciples stay in the boat, and they come on in. But there's this great picture of Peter rushing to see Jesus. Then, verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, so somebody had to get it in. They're dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. They're about 100 yards. When they got out of, on the land... Get this picture in your mind. They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the whole net ashore full of 153 fish. Some commentators say it reminds us of how big and strong of a man Peter was. He was a fisherman and he grabs this whole thing. There were so many the net was torn. 
verse 12, Jesus said, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dare ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he raised from the dead. Picture the scene. Peter swimming to the shore, the other disciples in the boat with a net full of fish, and there's Jesus, just cooking over a charcoal fire. John even goes so far as to give us that little detail, that just a little charcoal fire on the edge of the sea, having a meal. I want you just to pause for a second and take the scene in. Think about where Peter has been. Now there are no Roman soldiers. There are no Pharisees and Sadducees bringing accusation after accusation. There's no whipping, no crown of thorns, no cross, no ugliness. Just a band of brothers having a peaceful meal of bread and fish over a little charcoal fire. Now this band of brothers know beyond any doubt now that their leader, their brother, their friend is indeed the Son of God. He'd been telling them that, they'd been seeing miracles, but now that he's come back from the dead, they know that it's him. And this is just a beautiful scene of community and communion while they're just sitting there in this peaceful place with one another. I think of all people, people in Minnesota should be able to understand this scene. Maybe if you're a Duluthian, sitting out on the side of the Great Lakes when it's calm and it's peaceful, and you're just sitting there, maybe with some friends, maybe you even have a fire. Maybe it's your favorite lake up in the Boundary Waters. Many of you have been in the Boundary Waters and you're sitting there cooking over an open fire and you're just having a time of peace and quiet. Or want some other of the ten or more thousand lakes that we have in Minnesota. You can see this picture in your mind, can't you? And Jesus is just sitting there, the Son of God, risen from the dead, making a charcoal fire, cooking some fish and bread for his disciples. They, they just are. They're just there. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to experience that kind of communion with Jesus where you and he are together in communion and you're just being with him. When you know that you're in his presence and you just are, and a peace and a calm and a joy that's even hard to describe, and you're just experiencing that. I have to confess this week, this part of the story was just really appealing to me. Maybe it's not connecting with you, but it was really appealing to me. A place of just peaceful communion with Jesus. I'm kind of one of those doers that I find myself doing the things that Jesus wants me to do and staying really active and staying busy and staying doing and doing the things he wants me to do. And for me, those times of quiet communion are farther apart than I would care to admit. But when I have those and focus on those, they are such sweet times. And I was convicted this week that I've got to make some changes <laughs> so that I have more of those times because when I do them, it is such sweet communion of just peace and being in his presence and just sitting there knowing that he's right there 
right there with me. And maybe you find yourself like that sometimes. So some of you are really good at that, and I just encourage you to keep doing that, those times of quiet and peace and communion with the Lord. Even my quiet times tend to be I'm trying to accomplish some things, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I got prayer to do, I got things to read, got stuff to accomplish. They're just sitting there. There's no agenda at this meal. We don't see anything at this meal at this point other than Jesus communing with his disciples, having a meal on the side of a lake in the early morning. I love the picture. But now Jesus turns and does something that is so beautiful as well. In the midst of that scene, we get to verse 15. When they had finished that breakfast, and interesting again, John doesn't say any kind of teaching happened during that breakfast. They just were in the presence of Jesus. But when they'd finished the breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, he uses his formal name, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said, to him a thir- said this to him a third time. For a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Remember on the night not too far back, just a couple days earlier, Peter denied Jesus three times. Denied that he even knew him. Think of that. I don't even know him. Now Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Three times Peter publicly denies Jesus. Three times Peter publicly states that he loves Jesus. Now, you might be tempted to say this morning that it wasn't very public because only a couple of disciples were there, right? But we just heard it. I just, again, maybe it was just the Holy Week this week, but just, I was just struck by this. John has preserved it for us for over 2,000 years. Literally billions of people have heard Peter declare three times his love for Jesus. Think about that. For 2,000 years, billions of people have heard Peter say, I love you, three times. I just find this to be a sweet space in this story, where Peter's friend John, led by the Holy Spirit, eternally records this beautiful piece of reconciliation and restoration. Isn't that something? John could have said, I'm not writing that, because Peter and I don't always get along. (laughs) Or why should Peter get this? Again, the Holy Spirit is working through John, but John, his friend, records this beautiful picture of Jesus and Peter being reconciled, being restored in a a beautiful picture. And we usually call this passage the restoration of Peter. Jesus asks him three times to counter the three times that Peter denied him. Jesus knew that Peter loved him because Jesus knows all things. Peter needs to be able to say it to Jesus for Peter's sake. Jesus was getting Peter to say this so that Peter could know that he and his Savior have been reconciled. And Jesus responds then, 
since you do love me, and I know you do, and you've declared it three times, and it is in Scripture, so it will be there for all of eternity. You've declared it. Now your job is to feed my sheep. I've got a job for you. If you're, you do love me, but here's your job. Because you do love me, your job now is to carry out the plan and the mission that I have for your life. And in the near future, strengthened by the Holy Spirit and compelled by the love of Jesus for him and his love for Jesus, Peter is going to boldly fulfill his purpose and mission. You turn from John chapter 21 to the next page, and you get into the book of Acts, and Peter is a different guy. He is standing up there declaring, boldly feeding the sheep. And it's all because of the Spirit at work in him, Jesus' love for him, and his love for Jesus, Peter is going to carry out his purpose and mission. He will feed the sheep. He will feed the sheep of Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd, but Peter will feed the good shepherd's flock. You guys belong to the good shepherd. I'm just called to be the shepherd that leads this flock. But you belong to him. And Jesus calls Peter and says, I have a job for you. And you're supposed to feed my sheep. You're supposed to shepherd my sheep. Isn't that awesome that God will use Peter like that? I mean, think about what we've just talked about. What kind of grace and mercy is that? That Jesus would say to Peter, man, after all of these screw-ups, i got a big job for you, Peter. you got to feed my sheep. I know you love me, and Peter, I love you. Go feed my sheep. I just think that's a beautiful picture of the mercy and grace of God. He does not give up on Peter. He does not say, Peter, man, you keep making all these mistakes and messing up. He says, Peter, i got a job. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter does an amazing job of what God's called him to do. And then Jesus speaks some sobering words to Peter. Here's what he says in the next verse. Truly, truly, and whenever you see in the book of John, Jesus say, truly, truly, that is like, listen, listen, this is really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. We read that again. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, Jesus is telling him it's not going to be easy. There will be a cost. And in Peter's case, it's going to cost him his life. But even in his death, God will be glorified. It's a wondrous transformation. When that time comes, Peter is not going to shrink back. I mean, it's just amazing to think about. In the garden, three times he denies Jesus. He will stand firm in the future, and he will be killed for his faith. He will die with courage and strengthened by the Holy Spirit, compelled by Christ's love towards him and his love for Christ. He will die in a way that glorifies God. And Jesus simply says to him what he said to him when he first met him, and and get this, you guys, think about this. When he said, follow me, his very first words to Peter when he first met him was, follow me. Come follow me, Peter. And now he's saying to Peter, Peter, you're going to die, and your death is going to be not something that you get to decide or have any say in. You're going to be martyred for the faith. 
And he, and he says to him, they're going to lead you around and you're not going to get to defend yourself. You're going to die. On a, he's actually, tradition tells us that he died being crucified. And he says, just follow me. Wherever it may lead, you just follow me. And he simply invites him to do that. Now, Peter is still a work in progress, and so that's why we get the next section, because he's still trying to figure things out. He's still like got the foot-shaped mouth, as we call it. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus had loved, following them, this is John, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and he said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And that was a way of defining that it was John. When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about this man? <laughs> What's going to happen to him? But Jesus said, if it, is my, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread about among the brothers that the disciple was not to die, but yet Jesus did not say that to him. He didn't say he wasn't going to die. He said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And Peter does the classic thing, what about him? Isn't that funny how we do that too? Jesus simply says that that's between John and I. And Peter wants to know, what, what about him? What's going to happen to him? I mean, we do that also, all the time too, don't we? We worry about, uh, get our focus on somebody else and saying, well, how come this good thing's happening to them? Or why is that happening to them? How come that's not happening to me? And Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. You follow me because each one of us has a different journey. And he says, don't, don't worry about him, Peter. You focus on yours. Yours is going to be tough enough as it is. You don't have to compare or wonder why it's different than somebody else's. Don't worry, Jesus is saying to him, don't worry how I'm going to glorify myself in his life. You focus on following me. I'm going to glorify myself in John's life the way that I choose to do that. You follow me. And this is how it happens. Somewhere around 64 to 68 AD, Peter would be martyred by the Roman Emperor Nero. We know that. We don't know exactly Tradition has it that he was crucified and he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus. John, on the other hand, likely died of old age 30 years later. But guess what? In both cases, God was glorified through their lives and through their deaths. In both cases. One, a martyr's death 30 years earlier. One, probably of old age 30 years later. Their charge for both of them was to follow Jesus. Verse 24 says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John's wrapping up his book, but I just want to make it clear. John wants to make it clear, I saw these things. I'm giving you an eyewitness account. I've not done anything other than what's happened. That's why I told you there was 153 fish. Ever wonder why 153 fish? Because that's how many there were. <laughs> Somebody counted Probably Matthew, you know, tax collector. He's count, somebody counted them. That's what they were. And he says, so he's given this eyewitness account. And then he closes his book with this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I like how D.A. Carson, in his commentary on this passage, says it. This is what he says. The Jesus to whom he bears witness is not only the obedient Son and the risen Lord, he is the incarnate Word, the one who through the universe was created. If all his deeds were described, the world would be a very small and inadequate library indeed. Isn't that great? 
not just what he did here as he lived, but all that he's done in the entire universe. And the library of the world would be a pretty small library to try to describe all that he has done. So what do we do with all this? Let me kind of pull it together and call you to something this morning. Let me just review it real quick. After all the chaos, stress, and anxiety, and all the violence of the days before chapter 21, Jesus meets his disciples, he meets his followers in this quiet, special place, and he reminds them that he is indeed God, and he has risen from the dead. And he sits down and he communes with them over a quiet meal of fish, And he lovingly and tenderly restores Peter to a place of harmony and a place of fellowship with him. And Peter clearly professes his love for Jesus. And Jesus simply says to them all, follow me. Just follow me. Whatever may come, just follow me. Whatever may befall you, whatever circumstances you find yourselves in, all the ups and downs that life brings, just follow me follow me. And this morning, Jesus is calling you to follow him. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is risen. Go ahead. Let's hear it. (laughs) Whatever version you want. (laughs) He has risen from the dead, and he's calling you to follow him wherever it may lead. And I invite you this morning with a simple application to just follow Jesus. I don't have a big, profound, long application this morning, like sometimes I hope I have profound applications sometimes. I just have a clear and simple one. I invite you to follow Jesus. For some, this is a moment to pause and reaffirm or rejoice in or reconnect to your commitment to be a follower of Jesus. You've already made that commitment and this is just a morning that maybe you want to just rejoice in that commitment or reaffirm it or reconnect to it or be reminded of it. But just follow Jesus. For some, this is a moment to decide for the first time to be a follower of Jesus. And I'd love to talk to you afterwards or somebody that you're with today you could talk with. But I would just love to invite you to that. So maybe for the first time today to go, Jesus has risen from the dead and I do need to follow him. Jesus has risen from the dead. Come follow him wherever it may lead you. And I can guarantee you, it will lead you to one place for sure, eternal life. That's the good news, and that's what Jesus is inviting you to today, to follow him and to eternal life and to be his sheep and to be his children 